이대로 가면은 우리 영원히 밑바닥 인생이야. 세상이 미쳐 돌아가고 있는 거지. 야, 이게 사람 사는 세상이냐? Hello and welcome back to the B Movie Podcast. I'm your, I'm one of your co-hosts, Adam Kautzer, and. <laughs> uh, go ahead, Scott. And uh, the other, uh, he just jumping the gun because he's so excited about talking about the movie uh, that we're going to talk about today. Uh, my other co-host, Scott. <laughs> See, I did it right that time. <laughs> we're just going to totally leave that fuck up in there because um, you know the movie today is kind of it's kind of apropos that we're doing about uh, you know we kind of had a fuck up at the beginning because this is this movie is all about like like small mistakes um that have consequence uh as you can see by the show notes we're talking about a movie called time to hunt um the we're just going to get right into it um this movie uh the plot or as imdb says the plot is in the near future a financial crisis will hit korea and slums will arise uh from those areas a group of young people commit a crime to survive um I'm going to kind of throw something out here before we start, because we are going to be talking about this movie and there could be some very big, not big, but medium sized spoilers in the structure. We're not going to ruin everything, but we're definitely going to talk about the structure. And if you want to see this movie the way that we we saw it in the way that we were surprised by it, hit the stop button, watch this movie and then come back like like. I can just I can tell you I adore this movie. This movie is probably my maybe my second or third favorite movie of 2020 and it's probably going to make it through into the top 10. I'm pretty sure because it's that strong. Uh Scott, uh, where do you like just like a brief little like did you dig this movie? Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It uh, it definitely scratched the itch that a good film festival uh film scratches. Yeah, absolutely. So with that in mind, stop, watch the movie, and come back. Like you know, and if it's not your cup of tea, if like subtitled, uh, subtitled genre films are not your cup of tea, okay, then this is the move. This is the podcast to convince you of that. Um, but with that, after that's out of the way, um, I'm gonna hand it over to Scott because uh, I'd like to hit for him to talk about how this kind of came about for him, and then his recommendation of it uh, to me, so that we could like, and then what prompted this whole thing of like talking about time to hunt. Yeah, you know, I uh, I talk about Fantastic Fest in Austin so much that people probably think I'm on retainer or commission <laughs> or something like that. But uh, it's it's truly, you know, maybe my favorite film festival uh, every year. And in fact, uh, I often uh, use my own money, pay to go. Uh, so that I don't necessarily have to quote unquote work the festival if I don't want to. And so mm-hmm. it's like a vacation for a, a movie critic uh, and, and a movie fan. And so uh, there is a message board out there on Facebook. Uh, people who go to Fantastic Fest call themselves the Fantastic Fest fiends. And so there is a Facebook page out there. Uh, for uh, Fantastic Fest fiends, and people will post recommendations. Uh, there are a lot of folks that uh, kindly keep an eye on past Fantastic Fest films. Uh, wow, I'll say that fast. Uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, and 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 tell you the like who's picked it up for distribution, or hey, this movie from the festival four years ago is now available on Amazon Prime, and so it's just a great little resource. 
uh, if you go to that festival and maybe miss some of the films because they conflicted with something else. Uh, but people will also post stuff uh, that is kind of like in the flavor of Fantastic Fest. Like I just saw this film and it really reminds me of a good Fantastic Fest midnight movie or what have you. And so that's actually where I started hearing about uh, Time to Hunt uh, was some people who had you know, gotten access to this, perhaps gone to a film festival late last year that played it. I'm not sure the specifics, uh, but they kept saying that this movie was good. And so somebody posted that, Hey, it's hitting, uh, Netflix and everybody who's a, a fan of fantastic fest style, uh, foreign action films and thrillers and stuff like that. You'll really dig it. And, uh, and they were right. I mean, you know, it, it, it made me feel like, uh, I was sitting in the Alamo draft house at 10 o'clock, uh, on a, you know, Friday night or whatever, uh, watching this movie. And so, uh, it definitely, uh, scratched the itch, uh, for a, uh, film festival that, uh, unfortunately the coronavirus has dispensed with most of those for, for 2020. Absolutely. Um, it's so like to tag along to what Scott said. So like he text messaged me, like we we're, we're constantly communicating you know, because I mean, we're not just co-hosts, we're friends and we're colleagues and uh, like, you know, uh, film is our primary kind of conversation um, in regards to things. And also, you know, if we see something come up, you know, it's always a recommend. And he had um, my plans were to watch um, that Chris Hemsworth action movie, The Extraction, um, like, you know, when I got off of work one weekend and uh he had mentioned that this movie was uh like just popped onto netflix i i did a couple of like i just did a couple of like you know quick pieces of research like looking at people who i know that i trust that have reviewed the film and they were they were pretty uh, effusive for their praise and then i watched the trailer it had like certain things that just knocked like that just were check boxes for me um if you give me post-apocalyptic movies or like even better pre-apocalypse pre-post-apocalypse which is like you know like uh, like like the city like a country in ruin that's just about to like hit the apocalypse uh, um, that's something for me crime thrillers um like specifically something like with bank heists or uh and also what i like to call the cohen-esque crime film where people that think that they should be involved in crime pull a crime and realize very quickly they are quickly out of their fucking element. Um, yes, the Elmore Leonard factor. Exactly. Uh, that, that's actually even better. It was like the Elmore Leonard because Dutch wrote about this more than the Coen brothers, but I just think about film. Like, the best Coen films are always the ones where dumbasses are trying, like, literally normal people are trying to pull off crimes and they just do not go well. Um, actually, like, how I've been getting people to watch this film is by telling them it's part heat, part um, no country for old men. Like yeah, it's a, it's a yeah. it, it's a mashup of those two films, and it really kind of works perfectly if you think about it. But I always tell people, I'm like the heat. Part of it is a star, an asterisk on it, and they're like, well, why an asterisk? I'm like, because it's not like you have, like, a set of professionals doing this. This is, like, a yeah. group of friends that, like, are low-level, like, 
kind of sort of criminals like what I uh, and, and this kind of gets into the film in, in it of itself what what I loved about it was that it was like it was it was that like you know low like they weren't even criminals they're just like people that are on hangers on of crime like they <laughs> yeah like they weren't even like really criminals like one of them like the main character uh Jun Suk goes to jail and he like that's what starts the film is like um, his and I think it was like car theft. So I mean, it yeah. wasn't, it wasn't some hardcore, you know, arm robbery or, uh, or assault on somebody or something like that. It was like you know, car theft. Exactly. And his like literally, the film opens with his friends Kang Ho, uh, or Young Ho, and uh, Ki Hoon. Like, like there are these these two friends going to pick him up from jail. Um. I wanted to talk to you a little bit before we got into the crux of the movie is, um, man, I really loved the world building in this film, like a lot. Um, it's almost like it was like an even like a, a further ref- a refinement on what I, and I know this sounds crazy, but it like of what um, Alfonso Caron did with Children of Men, which is not really giving you like 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 letting you soak into the the world itself yeah yeah no it's 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 basically um kind of one of those future environments where nobody sits you down and tells you what went wrong yeah uh that nobody says oh well you know the i don't know a nuclear bomb went off or there was you know god forbid a pandemic yeah uh or uh whatever it was but it's just here is where we are and so that was what I enjoyed about it, uh, not having to have a whole bunch of spoken exposition. Uh, they weren't going out of their way to try to, you know, offer up a bunch of jargon and kind of sci-fi sounding speak uh, in it. It was just like, this is the state of the world. And you could tell, I thought it was a clever uh, way to do it, how much of it had happened recently mm-hmm. because they're having to educate their buddy who just got out of prison for three years about the crash of the currency markets and, you know, the massive unemployment and all the different things that have gone wrong while he was inside. So yeah. they do a good job of giving you a time frame without having to sit down and just spell it out for you like a chronology. I thought that was clever that, you know, uh, they educate the audience a little bit in the process of educating him and then that lets us know that this has all happened within the three years that he had spent in prison. No, absolutely. And further, like what what I love about that is that that currency, like the the currency crash, and everything that they tell him has reverberations through the entire film. Like it sets everything into motion. It's not just s- some like, idle chatter that that ch- that particular those particular things cause a ripple effect and they're like the abcs of how the film not only structures itself but the narrative drive of the film it's like as soon as he finds out that his share like that that like you know the wong has crashed and they had only wong from like their payout of their like last their their botched job that he went in for three years for it like it sets him in motion. It's like a fuse is lit because all that time in prison is spent for shit. It's nothing for him because 
he literally did this for his friends. Like, he, like it's almost like there's this prequel to the movie that we've never seen where he's like, okay, guys, I will take the fall for this. But you have to keep my money and my share, and I get a little bit bigger of a share, and when I come out, we'll just split it all up. And you come to find out that is not the case. Like, it, it literally is, like, everything that he planned for was just, like, again, like, the whole thing of, like, the, the Elmore Leonard and, and Coen Brothers kind of um, story drive where everything that could go wrong will go wrong. Yeah, and 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 the the kind of I don't know almost inside joke of this for people who watch these kinds of movies is we're all used to the one last job. Yep. And we all universally know that that's a terrible idea because something is going to go wrong. Well, in this film, it's kind of like the one last first job. because it was like they couldn't even manage to steal a car or whatever it was that they were doing correctly the first time and that landed one of them in prison for three years and so now he's getting out and it's like they're looking for one big score but it would really be their only ever big score like you were pointing out they're not some you know uh, finely tuned armed robbery uh, machine they, uh, you know, bungled the one and only job that they had together before. And so they're trying to pull off one big job to be their one and only job. Exactly. And um, it's interesting to watch the way that like this movie is like what we were just talking about. This movie is really interesting structure, like structurally, because um it really does play like a good mishmash of a Michael Mann film along with a Coen Brothers film because there's certain things that very specifically feel like structurally feel like a Michael Mann movie. But then it's also like the character work and then like plot details feel like definitely feel like a Coen Brothers or like you said, like an Elmore Leonard novel where it's not like what I loved about this film is that it's not big mistakes that cause everything to crumble underneath everything. It's the small mistakes. It's, it's, and, e- and it's, and it's the mistakes that amateurs would make. Exactly. But also that's, that's the key. But the funny, the, the funniest thing to me about this movie is, is that, um, it like what I love about the movie. And it was the moment that I, I literally got up and I was like, yes, thank you. Is, is that, the unstoppable force of this movie, like, there's a downfall for him. Like, the thing that I did not like about No Country for Old Men is that there's this hubris to it where, like, like, like you're almost waiting for, like, the balance of there has to be a mistake that Sugar makes. There has to be, because nobody is perfect, no, like not even sociopaths are perfect. And I, I, what I loved about this film is, is that there's a mistake he makes that suffers consequences for him later on in the film. And so this movie is not like this whole thing of like everybody, like, you know, like nobody, like, like there's just this one character that is the exception. Like everybody makes mistakes and everybody gets I wouldn't say dirty, but there there's consequences for everybody's actions. Like it's like a real world kind of situation where like they're trying to play 
fairly and not trying to make a he's I don't know if uh, the director is trying to make a point about something the way that I feel like um, the country was trying to make a point about like, do you, does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, I understand exactly what you're uh, saying. I mean, my argument with a film like No, no Country mm-hmm. is, you know, he Shigur was basically brought down by chance. And so the thing that he relied on so much throughout the movie, you know, flipping the coin, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of a almost like a chaos theory of kind of things, uh, in essence, is kind of what got him, you know, the the random, you know, somebody runs a stop sign or a stoplight and nails you and uh, and it, it scrambles everything. So it was kind of like finally chance came to roost on him. Uh, but, uh, but with this, uh, yeah, it's, it's that, uh, you know, I guess what I would say is it avoids kind of the sentimental outcome. Yes. That's definitely true. It it looks at this as how would this really work for a bunch of dudes who are trying to rob a place that is ultimately owned by the mob and, and how would it turn out? And that was one of the surprises when we were talking about the structure mm-hmm. is so often in heist films, it's an hour and 45 minutes of setup and then, you know, 15, 20 minutes of doing it and it's over. Yep. And so in this film instead, you know, they're, they're pulling off the job inside the first 45 minutes of a two hour and 15 minute movie. And so I was immediately thinking, hmm, I wonder what the rest of this movie is going to be about. Uh, and and then obviously we get into the, you know, enforcer on their tail uh, who is going to, you know, supposedly track them to the ends of the earth uh, to make them pay for what they've done. And so that becomes more the body of the film than the actual pulling off of the job. Yep. Absolutely. And um, Han, the killer, that's as he's known, um, what I loved about about his as a, him as a character is that he's not just one layer like they're like and his layering is structured through the 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 actual narrative of the film, which is really interesting the way that they they pull some of the surprises off. And I'm not going to ruin uh, I'm not going to ruin those particular surprises because they're so like, like when, when they, when there's a, there's a moment where they flee from him and they get the one up on him, which is a great scene. Like that elevator scene, Lord, like, because you know that the the, the stuff is off. <laughs> that like That was awesome. Yeah. All the chance, like, all, like what I love about Korean films. And I think that people like Korean action films or genre films. And I think that people don't realize this is that um, if you've never seen one, what you have to be prepared for is that anything can happen in these movies. Like, like the best of them is that like the gloves come off and there's a, there's a like 20 minute section of this film between like there's a ho- there's a bar scene and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about the bar scene and it's set up perfectly because there's there's a moment with some technology and the way that they structure it from that moment to a moment where they flee is about a 20 to 25 minute set piece and what they do in there is so effective what and how they're able to pull off what they're able to pull off with true tension 
uh, the the director, the writer director, Sung Hyun Yoon. Um, what he's able to do in those moments is he puts he gets you to the moment to where you're like, all bets are off. Like there's no you you're there's no chance that these 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 guys are going to survive. But um, and it's also but it also informs on character in in this in this whole section and then and getting a an understanding of who Han the killer is without anybody telling you anything which is great um but it also kind of leads back to the world that you're in and how deep these kids are cuz they're kids i mean they're like literally in their early 20s um and like what i liked and i don't know if you felt the same way was was that um it not just informed of who Han the killer was, but how deep the corruption had gotten in those three years since the financial crash and what it meant. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And 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 one of the things that I I like you, you had mentioned about you know uh, tone and and things like that in in South Korean uh, action films and 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 things of that nature. You know, it's almost like they're anti trope. Yes. Very much you know, so. In, in the sense of subverting things, it's, you know, it, really, it's almost like a mind game with a viewer. I mean, I really think, you know, this isn't accidental no. uh, that a film turns out like this. And so when you look back on it in retrospect, not while you're watching, but when you look back on it, you know, it's almost as if they have said, now viewers are going to be expecting us to do this. And so instead, we're going to do this. And so as you're going along, you'll think, oh, I know what the next beat is. Here's what's going to happen. And then it doesn't. Yep. And and it's almost like, you know, like I said, like an anti-trope trope. trope. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, like they're they're determined to defy your expectations. Uh, and, and I've noticed that. And I've, I've often wondered if it's something in the sensibility of, you know, maybe Asian viewers in the sense that you find so often, I find with American audiences, at least that they kind of want what they're expecting. Yeah. They want comfort food. Like, like yeah, exactly. Yeah. They, they, they want the, the beats that they're expecting. And in fact, I know, you know, at least anecdotally, just from talking with friends and family members and stuff like that, that it always seems like they'll say, yeah, you know, I really like that movie, except this one part where, and it will almost invariably be the part of the movie that I found interesting. Exactly. No, the, no, no, the no, you're one right. part of the movie where they varied from formula yeah. and gave you something a little out of the ordinary. Yeah. You, and, and so this movie is, is almost like all out of the ordinary and that's what makes it so enjoyable. Absolutely. And something that we haven't talked about right now, which or we haven't talked about yet is what I what I also found very interesting about the structure um, is the the way that the main character, uh, Jun Suk, how at a certain point there becomes this um, affectation of reality and dream the dream state becoming one. So you're not a hundred percent sure like him. You're not a hundred percent sure what's real and what's not. Right. Like the final scene in the bicycle shop. Yes, exactly. Things like that you're, you're left wondering now, is that something he's envisioning or is that something that's really going on? And so, yeah, it's, and, and a lot of it is 
born out of, and we won't go into detail, but kind of the losses suffered along the way. Absolutely. Cause, cause not everybody, you know, makes it, I mean, it's safe to say that. Uh, and so, uh, that's what it stems from is, is, you know, is he thinking back fondly, nostalgically on a particular thing or is that particular thing actually going on? Exactly. Exactly. Um, uh, what um what's interesting is how uh, um how the character work is so blended into the movie like uh, with a movie like this i think a lot of times what's left on the table like so like if there was an american remake of this like just as an example if there was an american remake of this um it would be about 30 minutes shorter and everything that's the 30 minutes of it is all would be all of the character work with the friends <laughs> exactly they'd have to come up with a few more set pieces that are just out and out action yeah uh and and eliminate uh a lot of the depth absolutely and like what i what i found what i loved about this is the attention to the characters like that's where like the other thing with michael mann comes into play is that um is how like what makes Heat a great movie is not the set pieces. It's the, his attention to to character detail. Even the smallest of characters in his movies get the sort of um, the sort of like detailed character treatment that sometimes even big action movies don't give to their main characters because their main characters are just set there to for one thing to be done to be put into place and this movie kind of doesn't do that like every single person like from the arms dealer who i love like he's like one of my favorite characters like <laughs> i've i've watched this movie yeah. three times and one of my favorite parts about about it is this arms dealer um who's friends with uh who, who's friends with jun sook um and how it's not the typical like you know like you come into the movie and there's the, the the point where he comes in obviously in the point where they're building towards the heist and he's an arms dealer he's a guy that just runs guns and you would think that this is the moment where like in an american movie where He's a gre like he's like this greasy, creepy character, and he's gonna screw them over somehow. Right. Not not even the case. He's like good friends with Jun Suk, and they kind of like have this camaraderie moment about being in prison. Um, but what also the, the like and then to add a layer into it, something that a lot of people don't know is that South Korea like it's known in South Korea, so it doesn't make it it's not a big deal, but in South Korea, very much like Israel, a lot of the kids, uh, a lot of kids go into the army or go into the military. Um, mm -hmm. It's just something that they do or they're not conscripted like in Israel, but there's a big, huge portion of them that do go in because of the like kind of like in in israel the palestine israeli kind of conflict they have north and south korea so many of the younger i financially unabled kids mm -hmm. serve in the military to give themselves financially a leg up and so when they start using the guns it becomes a very big like you know you automatically are like well why are they doing like why are they so proficient it's not because it's because they're in the military and i liked that kind of that kind of story building 
that just kind of gives you just the right hint to know, oh, okay, they were all in the army at some point, or they were all in the military, with the exception of one guy. Um, but right. but it's like those that attention to detail character that I really love that that elevates just some kind of humdrum like action film to a level where I'm like, I'm going to watch this at least three more times in, in the year because it's so good. Well, it's, you know, but it's like you hear, you hear film critics all the time, ourselves included, uh, from time to time talking about stakes. Yep. You know, give me some stakes and really, you know, to, to be blunt, you know, all stakes really is, is give me some people to give a shit about. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's really all it is. If everybody is just kind of a placeholder, you know, here's the hero, here's the person, sometimes damsel, sometimes kid, sometimes another male adult, you know, in, in danger. And then here's the, the, you know, his mom or his grandma or somebody that we're just automatically supposed to feel that there's an emotional connection with them because of that relationship label. And then they go into the action. You know, you don't really care at that point what happens to anybody because you don't know any of them. And so the key to stakes is, you know, give us people to actually care about. And so that's what this film does well is, you know, if somebody dies, you're not just like, oh, well, you know, move on to the next action set piece. You know, it, it affects you. You know, you actually feel it. And, and you know, I even find myself sometimes, you know, reacting like, oh, my gosh, I cannot believe that I'm like so moved by, you know, uh, the death of some character uh, in just, you know, an action film. You yeah. know, I almost look at myself from outside of myself and think, wow, you know, they really did a good job to get me to be that invested uh, in that moment. No, absolutely. And that, that this film is full of those things, like are full of yep. those moments, like yep. like so much so that there's a a a character's parents that you're actually mm -hmm. worried about. Like most of the time <laughs> right. they're fodder, but you're actually right. worried. Like at the end, I'm like, the fuck happened to them? Like, are they okay? Are they not okay? Right. Um, right. It, it's, it's a, it's, it's an extremely, like you said, it's stakes, but it's extremely well done and elegantly done. Like they're like, I, like, I rarely see films like this that are done this well. Like I like we we've talked about how we watch a lot of films like right now at this point, like I'll even tell you, like I have my running list of how many movies <laughs> I watched this this year. And it's actually like I'm probably going to because of, you know, because of Corona um, and this lockdown, I'm probably going to make it to like the most the most amount of films that I've watched. So new and old, I've watched 256 films. That's not even wow. mid year. Yeah. Wow. Like I, I'm I, impressed. <laughs> <laughs> I usually hover like around this time. I usually hover around 120 or 130. Right. This is just right. films like Scott, you and I both talk about the TV we watch too. Like that's right. not even counting yeah. TV that we watch. Yeah. Um, so yeah, whenever I utter numbers like that, my wife always goes, don't admit that to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd say, well, dear, feel, feel okay. Because the people that I'm admitting it to are doing the same damn thing. Exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> but so like, it's just to give you an idea. I 
sift through a lot of stuff. Like, so like, okay, so like, like, I hate comparing, making a comparative, but, um, so like Extraction, it's, it's a blunt instrument of a movie. Like, it's not, it's not as elegant or like a razor blade like this film is. Like, but the biggest distinction between the two of, of these two movies are the attention to character detail. This knows how to build character, whereas like, Extraction has decided upon with their their structure and the way that the movie is structured that there's they they deal in stereotypes and cliches, which yep. I, I mean shorthand exactly I mean, basically what they're doing. It's 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 shorthand. It's it's why they go with like I said like labels exactly. Like they introduce a character and the character is grandma or you know a uh, uh, mom in a wheelchair or you know something exactly. it's like they build something that they think will immediately immediately elicit sympathy without really having to kind of flesh things out for you absolutely and like so like spoilers for extraction uh, you've seen it right no actually i haven't seen oh, it oh okay don't worry no. about spoiling it okay <laughs> That's fine. so okay so spoilers for the audience you can skip over like 2 minutes of this but literally like I, we, well, me and Christina sat, my wife Christina sat down to watch it, and within the first like thirty-five seconds of the movie, we looked at each other, and I looked at her, and I was like, "This fucker's dead. He's gonna die." They literally have a gladiator flashback thing to a son who you never, you oh. already know, is already fucking dead. Like, and so it's like, it's like, like eye rollingly bad. It's like, literally, I'm like, dude, Hemsworth, I love you. You're, uh, you're, you're one of my favorites because you can, you're, you're so goofy, right. but you also do action. You know what? This is just, I uh, like, like basically taking like ma- telegram. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> everything to come. I mean, at least, at least with man on fire. Like even even though I've I I've seen the I saw the original movie I've read the book it, like uh, at least Tony Scott did not telegram the fact that Kersey, uh, Creasy was gonna die like you know the Denzel Washington character was gonna die like at least like yeah, he didn't do yeah. that you know this movie just kind of completely sells it and you're like oh Jesus Christ why do I do what why I mean you know it's like and it's like. I don't know. It's like I I can't help comparing them because I saw them both on the same day. And like, yeah, like Extraction is like a hundred and fifty million dollar really big action movie. And like I said, it's a blunt instrument. It works very well at what it does, which is like cracking skulls. But if you stop, you start to like think about like right. like, okay, here's this gi- ginormous white dude killing all of these these like, you know, brown ethnic people like that's really bad but you're not supposed to think about that you know um whereas like time to hunt is this very kind of like there there are very few deaths in this movie but every single one of them including some of the characters that you would normally in other movies not care about actually matter and it's a more effective movie as an action film or a crime thriller than extraction ever will be, or ever tries to be. Um, and right. it's, it's not to say that extraction doesn't have its place and I didn't find it entertaining, but if people are looking for something that is more than your average, I, I definitely say time to hunt. 
Yeah, and and you know, and I think the 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 issue in this is, uh, you know, it's not so much um, I'm trying to think cultural kind of thing, or it's not like oh, American movies suck and foreign films are better and you're just some, you know, movie critic snob or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's just the fact that to get an action film or certain types of films in America greenlit, there have to be kind of certain beats within that movie. Certain crowd-pleasing beats or, you know, the emotional beats or whatever it may be. It just seems like America tends a little bit more towards formula. And so that's the the knock that I have on it. It's not all, you know, Asian action films are great because plenty of them aren't. And it's not all American action films are bad because obviously there are plenty that are amazing. You know, just look at the John Wick films. Absolutely. But the point, but the point is, and that's a good example, is going in a completely different direction. You know, all of a sudden you have a stunt coordinator directing a film and emphasizing that element of a film. And and it it basically becomes like an American martial arts classic. Yep. And and so it's it's finding a new in, it's finding a new route. Give us something different than what we have been watching for years and years and years. And so it seems to me, at least, that Asian production companies and filmmakers and everything don't have as big an issue as going uh, with going outside that formula and just doing whatever they feel like works for the story. And that is the reason, at least right now, that a lot of the stuff coming out from that part of the world is more interesting than what's coming out over here. Absolutely. No, no, you're absolutely correct. And also uh, something that we haven't talked about, which you and I are both like big fans of cinematography, like uh, like a good like Deacons is the is the altar to, to pray at. Right. Wow. This movie visually like I had to read a little bit about it because there's so much um they're like the way that they use light in this movie is something else. Like it's almost hallucinogenic. Um, the, the cinematographer Wang Yung Lim, I just, wow, this film is visually lush. I saw it, uh, like, of course I watched it on Netflix, but Netflix has Dolby vision and 4k abilities. And this thing had both of it. And uh, you talk about like working out my TV, wow, like this movie is just visually striking. Yeah, yeah um, absolutely. Absolutely. I was going to say the same thing. I was last night. Uh, I, uh, a lot of times I will watch the kind of movies that, that interest me and me alone <laughs> after, <laughs> my, after my wife has gone to bed. And so I pop on the Bluetooth headphones yeah. and, uh, and fire up the uh, 4K Sony and turn out all the lights and get as much of a theater effect as I can get. And yeah, last night I was I was oohing and eyeing at the color palette uh, and the cinematography in this film as well. So I mean, it's it's just a visual feast, uh, along with being a, an enjoyable action film. Absolutely, uh, like the like the final moment. So that final moment, the the final set piece. That proceed that precedes the prelude or the would mm-hmm. it be the prelude? No, it would be the postscript. Um, like 
I literally was like, how did they do this? Like from a technical standpoint, how did they do the way, how did they light it in? Because there's these very wide shots that are just basically, it's, it's supposedly like, like, like what my in, like what my initial instinct on like the reason why it's bathed in red is because some kind of ecological thing happened in Korea or around the world that caused night skies to be something rather toxic or something happened to the skies and to watch this entire scene play out in like hues of red and magenta Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is literally like just like something that I've never seen before. Um, But it's not just small scale. Like you're literally seeing entire streets and I'm not talking small streets. I'm talking wide streets bathed in this red. And um, just like, like just the amazing work that they had to do for this kind of work. It it doesn't call attention to it unless you're like a real cinese, like me and Scott are, but it's like one of those things that it really does inform on your psyche when you watch the film. but, But that's actually, you know, the key to doing it well is it doesn't call your attention to it as a separate thing. You know, if not for the technology that exists these days for watching films, mm-hmm. you know, where you go, oh, my God, look at how good that looks. You know, it would just be part and parcel of the film. Absolutely. And that's always kind of the key to me is it doesn't ever look like, well, hey, here's an excuse to light something really interestingly. Uh, it is of a piece. It, it, that kind of thing runs through uh, this entire film. And I tell you, you could you could play a, a guessing game of, you know, what is green screen? What is a set? What is real? What isn't? Uh, because it all just, you know, goes together seamlessly. It really does. Like, they really, like, the one thing that, and I, like I told you, I, I've watched it, I I've watched it a couple of times. The one thing that I don't see in this film are the seams. Like, and I mean, yeah. we're both watching it in 4K. So you know that you, like 4K is unforgiving. Like that's the thing that I think we've talked, <laughs> we've talked about. Um, I've even mentioned to you about the Star Wars films, about how, like how some things should probably not be in 4K. And I think that there are certain films that are designed to be for 4K, even older films. Like I'm really looking forward to seeing, um, Lawrence of Arabia in 4K. Uh, like, I'm really looking forward to it. But this movie is designed for 4K because there's no seams. Like, you can't see the seams in the in the movie. Like, it's very hard. Um, they just did a really, really amazing job visually with the film. Um, and it shows. Like, it, like, if you're the kind of person that really loves a great, like, you know, crime thriller or action film that's not necessarily... Um, that's not necessarily an action film, uh, because like I don't know if it's an action film because just the level of action is just not there. Um, but if it if you are um if you are, then this is something that you definitely want to um you definitely want to check out. And then um something that I wanted to talk to you about which is actually my favorite part of the movie is the is the postscript like and how much time is spent on that postscript um how did you feel about that because for me it was a very tense postscript because yeah. because yeah. I was expecting something 
Yeah, and and also the uh, you know the specter of of all that has come before mm-hmm. is still hanging over him. Exactly, and and so I thought that was an interesting touch because so often when you have these moments of well let's let's show our hero after everything is is over. And, you know, I think back to like those Schwarzenegger movies from the 80s where, you know, he's like swinging his kid in the air and, you know, (laughs) there's nary a care concern because the bad guys have been vanquished and there's nothing wrong and 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 nothing to kind of sweat in the process. And this leaves you with a much more uneasy resolution. Uh, But the cool thing is, is the main character also isn't going to take that lion down. No, no, that's and, and and so that was what was was really cool is, you know, without getting too much away, it was like the ending of this film felt like the middle of an 80s action movie if you know what I'm saying. Absolutely. It, that's what I was going to actually ask you. I was going to actually ask you like so I love the way that it ends. I don't know if I really want a sequel. And I don't think that right. the writer director ever intended it to be for a sequel. I think he meant, I don't either. Like, like I think that they purposely meant to end it the, exactly the way that they it does. And I think that that's going to piss off a lot of viewers. Like to be perfectly honest, because they're designed to to take this kind of film as comfort food, and it's going to be so effective to them that that moment is like going to be something that. I feel like people are going to take the wrong way. Yeah. Some people will take this movie like it's some kind of origin story for a movie they're not going to see. Yes, exactly. And but that's I, not the way I take it. But no. But I can understand that that would be uh, the view of some folks. Yeah, because it is absolutely one of those. It is absolutely, to me, it is absolutely one of those moments where it's like, yeah, this is exactly where it needs to end. Cut to black. Because you have everything you need to know. Like there's right. no, there's no necessary, like, like you, there's mm-hmm. nothing necessary after that. I mean, if they did do a, if they did do a sequel, yeah, you better believe I'm going to watch it because I feel like, <laughs> I feel like. And it would still be a little been there, done that. It would, it would, yeah. unless yeah, he could, you, you would kind of have to take it in a completely different direction. Yes, exactly. I think that it, it, like, if you do do a, if you do do a sequel, then it has to be like almost like a John Woo ish like operatic blood uh, like a bullets and blood heroic trilogy uh, like a heroic bloodshed movie and not this kind of like not this kind of like like it almost has to be operatic if you're gonna do a sequel like you can't kind of recreate the same kind of character character beats that you get in this film like you would have to probably go big or go home with these two like with with the characters that are involved in it and what the setup is but at the same time like i said i don't think that there's like i hope to god there's never a sequel like to be perfectly honest like it it goes out the way that it should go out yeah yeah i i I love it just the way that it is yeah and so i'm with you i'm like i would certainly watch a sequel but, you know, I would be sitting there the whole time thinking, please don't destroy the movie that I enjoyed so much. Absolutely. No, no, absolutely. Like, um, I, there's a part of me that really wants to see this on the big screen. Like, this is a big screen movie. Like, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, yeah and that's uh, why I was saying that it was so reminiscent to me 
of you know one of the beauties of of film festivals mm-hmm. uh, and, and I'm speaking I don't have to speak to you I'm yeah. speaking to the people who might be listening who haven't been to one is the the huge array of films that you've just literally never heard of yep and so you just look at it and think you know that kind of sounds like something that I would like and you go see it and just get knocked out by some movie that you've never even heard of or my favorite thing which is almost uh, it, it's like the time slot, you know, conflict situation where you're yes. like, you really wanted to see this, but you couldn't because this other movie's playing. And so then it leaves you seeing this movie that you might not have chosen and that you've never heard anything about. And it winds up being one of the best things that you see the whole festival. No, and absolutely. so that's what this movie was like for me. Just a movie that some folks in a, in a, you know, chat room, so to speak, uh, had been discussing about how cool it was or how good it's supposed to be. Uh, and then you watch it and it just pays off. I mean, to, to give everybody an idea that our discussions are all not always, you know, high minded cinema discussions. I think the texts were literally, I texted you the little, have you seen this on Netflix little thing and said, I've heard this is supposed to be badass. <laughs> exactly. That's <laughs> all you did. You wrote, and then you wrote back a couple of days later, it is badass. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that was uh, that was the uh, level of, uh, of of detail and analysis uh, that we were putting into that selection at that point. Absolutely. And I think that this like to me, this speaks to like for for me, like this is like the perfect gateway drug movie to foreign films. Yeah, like, yeah, absolutely. Especially like foreign horror films, mm-hmm. action films, stuff like that. I mean, this isn't a horror film, but I'm saying into that those genre movies. Absolutely. Like like um if for somebody who doesn't like, you know, who doesn't tread on those waters and they're quickly running like they think that they're quickly running out of con- great content. Um you know, I really hope that like my my like 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 we we never we we talk occasionally about like you know like why we do what we do like why we do crit- like why we curate the way that we do um a lot of times for me it's also like it's opening people's eyes to the possibility of cinema beyond uh cinema just beyond like you know american films or marvel films like like and or like you know whatever top 10 at the box office and because there's so much out there that is so good like you know you 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 start with something like this and you get to something like the wailing which you and um spencer have talked about on armchair critic uh yeah yeah armchair uh i'm sorry armchair cinephile so sorry yeah yeah. no that's fine that's uh, a podcast i do with spencer howard and yeah we talked about uh, the wailing uh recently a three, like literally close to three hour horror movie. Like, yeah, that's great. Like somebody who just like, <laughs> is somebody who just like, like just as a, like a, like a recommend, listen to that episode because that, that is a great episode of your guys's, uh, your guys's podcast and kind of exemplifies what I'm talking Oops. about right here. Um, which is, is that nowhere else, but in Korea or another foreign language country, would you get a three and a half hour or a three hour horror film that, like in a lot of ways rivals what the exorcist was trying to say in its at its time in in the US and right. i mean it's like this this movie could lead you down a door 
like a down a rabbit hole of some really amazing cinema. And it doesn't doesn't have to be action cinema or horror films or genre in general. Um, it could be other films too, because there's so much out there. Like, don't think that just because you finished everything that's on iTunes on the popular board or Amazon on the popular, uh, like the top 10 doesn't mean that you're done with content. I mean, this is free if you have Amazon or if you have Netflix. I mean, this movie premiered at Berlin, Berlin Film Festival, literally two, like three months ago, like not even three months ago. I think it was the end of February. It premieres. And then it's now on Netflix, a brand new film. Like you could yeah. watch right now. Um, uh, a highly effective one, one that's probably better than most of what you've seen over the last couple of months, unless you've seen classics, which in that case, you know, of course it's going to rival something like that. But, um, yeah, no, no, you're exactly right. You know, I have a lot of friends who will tell me, which I understand, you know, I don't really like subtitles or, you know, sometimes the, uh, the melodrama that exists in, uh, in some of Asian cinema, just some of the stylistic choices, uh, they're just like, I oh, really don't like that or or whatever. But, you know, the the issue for me is the one thing that you have to acknowledge is you and I see a lot more movies than the average person. This is true. So we're kind of tired of seeing the same thing over and over and over again. I mean, our quest is to always find something new, something interesting, some something that brings something new to the table. Yes. So I can understand with my friends who, you know, have kids and, you know, when movie theaters are open and everything, you know, they might get a chance to go out on a date night once every two, three months to go see something on their own. And so I can understand if they're not picking some obscure a foreign film or art house film or something like that. Uh, but you know, when you see people posting things like, Oh, I've watched everything on Netflix worth watching. I'm like, Oh, you just, <laughs> no, you haven't. No, you really haven't. You, you, you haven't even come close. I mean, you can sit me down in front of just one streaming service, uh, and tell me that's all I have for, you know, a month or two. And I'd be watching interesting stuff that entire couple of months. Because uh, you got to watch the docs and you've got to watch, you know, foreign films and, you know, animated films and just kind of expand your horizons. And so to me, that's what something like this does uh, is, you know, uh, I mean, you know, my easiest way uh, to pitch it to my friends who don't normally like this kind of thing is I'm like, think of it as like an Asian version of the Terminator. Yep. That's a perfect <laughs> that is a perfect way of thinking about this movie. And, and, and check it out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and with that, I think that that's like kind of like a perfect way to sum it up. It's like an Asian Terminator, <laughs> like it, like literally an unstoppable force after people. Um, Scott, where can people find you on the interwebs this week? Yeah, absolutely. You can find me on Twitter at M Scott underscore Phillips. Uh, I also do uh, weekly video reviews uh, for WRBL.com. Uh, they're currently more like voiceover reviews because they have such restrictions on who can get into the television studio in these COVID days. Uh, but I'll be back in front of a camera at some point. Uh, and then, uh, as you mentioned earlier, I have another podcast called uh, The Armchair Cinephile that you can find out there on all of your usual podcasting uh, networks and podcatchers and what have you. Uh, and then uh, the rest of my work appears at the movie owl. Absolutely. You can find the B movie podcast on Twitter and Instagram. The handles are the letter B, the word movie and the word pod, uh, B movie pod. 
you can find my work, Scott's work, on uh, the movie aisle. Uh, that is all one word, themovieisle.com. Uh, the Twitter and Instagram uh, handles for that, uh, for for our site, is the movie aisle. <laughs> Just same as the, the website. Uh, both of them are there. You can get content for that. The Twitter handles are more um, a landing site for the articles themselves. So you're not going to see really much chatter on those right now. Um, but if you were looking for like content related and what we're watching and just stuff that you want to see, like actual real content, go to the, uh, go to the, each of the Instagram pages and subscribe because those are pretty active. Um, and I, don't need my Twitter and Instagram handle because I am actually taking a break from social media other than the professional pages that we're that I'm currently running, which are those two. So uh, with that, guys, we will be back next week with uh, something just as awesome as this. Um, and uh, just guys, stay safe and uh, stay locked in. Um, we're in it for the long haul. We'll be continuing to give you content like this. So we'll talk to you guys soon.
미치듯이 떠다 갑자기 맞추어질 때에도 yeah. 왜 나는 밤에 맞춰 나 이혼도에 익숙해질까 난 어려울 줄 알아서 나봐 요새는 보냈던 구멍은 거의 다 메워가 yeah. I'm walking by, walking by Just walking by you You don't need a guy, don't need a guy That's your guy 